What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Whitetail Edge Podcast, a podcast designed to make you a better whitetail hunter. Now, your host, Ben Rising, and myself, Dylan Gandy. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Whitetail Edge Podcast. I believe this is episode 12, and we are live at our favorite bow shop, Miller's Gun and Supply, here in Sugar Creek, Ohio. Sitting here with Ben. What's up? Oh, not much. Just uh, come to see the boys over here. Dropped it on them uh, 7.30 this morning that this is where we're going to be. So, you know, nothing like uh, giving everybody last-minute notice. You're pretty good at that. Yep, I like to do that. That's how I live my life. So here we are at Miller's. If you guys don't know Miller's, it's located here in Sugar Creek, Ohio, Amish community, Amish run. Um, Very, man, this, this bow shop is unlike any other that I've seen. I'd argue I'd put it against any bow shop in the country. Um, the guys know what they're doing here as far as setting up your bows. They build arrows. Um, I mean, you could go on and on about yeah. this been, bo- this bow shop. Been coming here for years. I believe I'm the one that introduced you to this place, correct? Yep, absolutely. Um, so yeah, they set up most of our team's bows. Uh, just you know, really technical as far as knowing archery. Same with guns. I mean, you know, it started out years ago, I believe, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit because we're going to let Larry and Joe talk about it, um, the actual owners of the store now. And we're going to probably do a little interview with Dewey and um, Ryan, maybe Adam. I don't know if they'll let him out of his cage. Yeah. Maybe we'll <laughs> get to interview Adam as being the new whipping post. Yep. But, um <clears throat> Yeah, it's a great store, and as you can see, we're not set up here for, like, any particular product. You know, Miller sells everything. Obviously, we're prime, you know, white tail edge. Right here is the prime bows right here behind me, and then, you know, they've got Matthews, Hoyt, um, you know, all kinds of stuff here. So crossbows, you name it, they sell it. Um, great fishing department. But anyways, you know, so we just thought this would be a cool place to set up, and, you know, we'll talk to them guys a little bit, but... We'll get into some deer hunting stuff here too. Yep, we got. We'll start off on that. Sure. Yeah, I know we got a we got a few listener questions. I don't know if you want to do that towards the end. I mean, we always just kind of spitball these and don't ever come in with an agenda. So you tell me how you want it to go, and well, Well, I think first of all, like this past weekend at the Northeast Ohio Sports Show, um, we'll talk about that real quick. We had big turnout there. I was asked to be part of a four panel discussion or you know kind of like a round table type thing but basically it was just a lot of questions about the baiting in ohio and um you know it actually was a little disappointing because i was actually hoping there would be some technical questions more so like of people wanting to know how to set up on deer different things once we did the open mic we had a few of those questions um but it mainly was just people it was a debate more so or well not really it was it was kind of supposed to be that way but it never really turned into that because 98 percent of the questions were about corning you know the baiting in ohio and how do you combat it how do you you know everybody seems to hate it seems like Mm -hmm. um but everybody does it because you know their neighbors are doing it so there's really no way of getting around it um, so it's a, just a really weird subject. Um, it is. It, it could go like a million different directions. It could. I mean, <laughs> you know, and I mean, we, so like for me, like, you know, my suggestion was, you know, I feel like feeding deer is fine, like, but I think we need to feed them better. And so, you know, 
I was talking a little bit like with my battle with EHD this year. Um, you know, so like, you know, analogics, and I just talked about this in the last POS code, you know, they have AnaShield in their feed. I think like if people are going to, you know, supplemental feed deer and bait and things like that, I think we ought to feed them something good, something that's good for the deer herd, you know, if we can get our neighbors on board and stuff too. So, you know, this builds up their system. Um, you know, I think just feeding straight corn is like horrible for deer. I mean, it just is. It's like they're not made to just eat straight corn. And what happens, like I said at the, the show, was you shoot an adult doe and you leave her fawns, you know, which is fine. But if they're so used to eating off that corn pile, that's all they're going to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times you'll find a hard winter die off early in the, you know, the spring. And it's because of a lot of the corning, I, th- I feel like. The, none of the deer get the nutrition that they should get. Um, now, there are people that are, you know, doing a better mix of feed and things like that. And I know not everybody can afford to feed really expensive stuff. I get that. Um, but it is a situation that we all just got to deal with in Ohio right now. And my only other thought about it was like, maybe if, if every, you know, if so many people dislike it, maybe you can get everybody in your block or your neighbors all to agree not to do it during hunting season. If you don't want to bait, mm-hmm. you know, you can feed in the off season, but if y'all don't feel that baiting's fair, then maybe you can just get your neighbors to agree and everybody just agree not to bait. Um, that's the only thing I can think, you know, right now, because it's legal and it's, you know, um, it's not going anywhere, I don't think. So, um, you know, everybody has their own right to hunt, I guess, the way they want. I mean, I, I don't particularly like hunting over bait, so I don't do that, mm-hmm. you know, too much. I mean, we, you've got to have, it seems like, because baiting is so big in America, you know, in Ohio anyways, you do have to seem like you have to have some kind of supplemental feed on your farms to hold the deer in there. Don't you agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if you don't have some sort of bait in there, you're just not going to see the deer, unfortunately. If you do, it's only, you know, they're passing through. They're looking for the corn piles at this point. I mean, Well, just like we're some of the places you hunt in urban, every little small lot's got a corn pile on it, does it not? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So. I mean, but that, I mean, it's not just urban, though. I mean, as you know, I mean, it's just as bad out here in the, the rural parts of Ohio, I think. Uh, I mean, oh, absolutely. Every single one of your neighbors has a corn pile, so, yeah. I mean, you know, you might not be a fan of it, but it's almost like a necessity. You're going to have to have it. You got to you got to be able to compete with with your with your landowners. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. You, but just like to make a point here, you 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 can say that the corn isn't good for the deer. I mean, I guess you could almost compare it to me like eating Taco Bell every day yeah. or something. I'm going to feel like crap if I eat Taco Bell every single day. Right. I mean, yeah. so giving that nutrition back to the deer and like the analogics can uh, provide that for a deer. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I totally agree with you. And it's yeah. just, it's, it's so, I don't know. It's a weird topic. It is. It's one I don't even like talking about anymore. And I mean, like it was so, I think everybody there was so beat to death by um, those questions, but you know, we did have a few good questions about, you know, like when I killed scissors, what I decided to look for when I was setting up on that deer and things like that. And, um, I am going to be doing, I'll just say it now, uh, I'll be at the Illinois deer classic this year. Uh, and I'm going to be doing four seminars there, um, two a day for Friday and Saturday. Um, and I'm going to do two different topics. One is going to be on calling deer and body language. Um, 
kind of be going over that. So be showcasing a little bit of like the black rack, the extinguisher, and you know our illusion systems type stuff, and kind of what I'm looking for and how I do that. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wants to actually come and meet me in person or see that, um, I will be at the Illinois Deer Classic at the end of March. Um, then I'm going to do the other seminar on uh, scrape hunting. You know, all about scrapes, and we get so many questions on that. I feel like it's a it's a good seminar to do. Um, not used to doing seminars quite that large, um, but hopefully we have a great turnout. So I'm you know trying to get the word out there now that you know um, that they uh, are interested or that they're going to have me there. So we'll see. And then if things go well, maybe he said something about possibly doing Iowa next year too, like the Deer Classic in Iowa, which would be cool. Cool. So, so um, for the remainder of the show season, if you will, you got Illinois. You're, you're going to NWTF, right? Yeah, well, we're going to NWTF convention here coming up in February. Um, so we'll be down there with the Spur brand booth for the turkey, um, me and Buddy Stafford. Um, so we'll have that booth and spur brand is you know obviously if you haven't seen that look it up spurbrand.com it's basically an apparel line we do have some new calls this year um some uh mouth calls and you slate, know, slate glass yep. so um we used them last year they're pretty awesome yeah i mean they look awesome for one which is cool but uh man the, the realism in the calls was second to none i mean they were i'll put them against any other call on the line but, um, and then uh, Columbus, right? Yeah, we'll have a Novix booth at Columbus. Yeah. So, and we'll have a Novix booth at Deer Classic and Iowa Deer Classic. Um, so, I don't think I'll, I don't know if I'll make it to Iowa, but I will be hanging out at the booth at uh, Columbus for that sports show at the Novix booth some, and obviously at the Deer Classic, I'll be hanging around the Novix booth also. And we got some great things coming with Novix this year, some new stands. Um, really excited to finally and we're going to do a podcast about that i'm going to have mark on and me and mark are going to talk about some of the new products that we have coming out uh, i think people are going to be really jacked i am yeah <laughs> so um it's like a little kid trying to keep a good secret yeah that's know? right you know some good stuff uh it's taking a lot of work a lot of time money you know yeah. but it's going to be worth it i think it'll go over really big for guys that are they kind of feel like the you know that the Novix Echo and stuff right now are just a little too much money for them. Mm -hmm. This one's going to be in that roundhouse, you yeah. know. It's still going to be a little higher price than your China-made stuff, obviously, because it is made in USA, and so the labor and everything is just more expensive here. Um, the material's better. It's just how it's got to be. But mm -hmm. it is going to be a great option for guys that want to have multiple stands, and it's going to be really comfortable. Yeah, and they've got something else coming out, and and uh, in, in my opinion, probably one of the most innovation, biggest innovations in tree stands that I've seen in years. Uh, you, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about, obviously, but um, very excited about that. I can't wait to. I think it's gonna, man, it's gonna blow the minds of a lot of consumers. So. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Remind but, me. Yeah, but no, it's uh, it's cool. You know, I'm heavily involved with Novix on the product development side, and so. But anyways, you know, back to a little bit of deer stuff. You know, a lot of people are finishing up their season, or it's already done. Um, Larry here at Miller's, he shot a doe last night. I think Ryan shot one and did 
Dewey shot one too, I think. Yeah, I think Dewey shot one. Yeah, um, so they're, yep. you know, people are doing doe management right now here in Ohio still. Um, but anyways, you know, hopefully everybody had a good season. And uh, I think maybe we ought to go to some of those email questions and things. I had a guy uh, email me the other, actually just last night, I believe. Yeah, I got a couple here. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Yeah, so this guy, his name's Charlie Clutter. Um, so he's been a big fan for years. Um, he killed he killed a really great deer this year. He sent me a picture. Beautiful buck. Oh, yeah, that's a stud. And he said he had questioned us about it. Um, hoping I answered his message. <laughs> he said he had messaged. <laughs> hoping I, I hope I answered you, Charlie. If not, it's Dylan's fault because he runs the social media. So if I didn't see the question, it's not my fault. What was his name? Charlie Clutter. Okay. But uh, anyways... So Charlie just said he would love to see a little bit more about like some of our past kills and you know some of my older deer, which I think would be good. Yeah, did, did we talk about this on the last podcast? Yeah, that okay. we're that we're going to, and yep. I guess we need to just kind of do that. Mm -hmm. um, just trying to read his email here. <clears throat> oh, he he thought it was really cool about you know the trapping background and with my dad and things like that, and how that's kind of taught me a lot. You know, and he also wants to see me have Mark on here, Mark Gurry. Yeah, me too. He, he says, I know you guys are good friends, and he goes, I think that would be a great BS session with you and Mark Gurry. I agree. And uh, he says, Mark Gurry has his act together when it comes to big deer. Couldn't imagine the listeners you would have from that show. So yeah. we'll, we'll try to make that happen at some point um, and see where that goes. I know Mark will be glad to do it if um, he gets time and we have – the time to do it because you know us working together with DeerCast. So go ahead and go over here. So Charlie, thanks for the email. We'll try to uh, enlighten so, you. So I got this email after our last podcast. This is from Nate Broomer, I believe is how you pronounce the last name. But he said I was listening to episode 11, and Ben said that Mark Jury thinks that he deals with EHD almost every year to a certain extent. I believe this 110%, and I have seen it firsthand on our farm in mid-Missouri. Just thought I'd share that information with you guys on the subject, and in the last six years, I've noticed it all but one year. Also, I'd be curious to know your opinions on whether cattle farms have any effect on that. Gotcha. Well, um, again, you know, Mark Dury did say that. He feels he does deal, deal with it pretty much to an extent every year, so... You know, but I do know, and again, going back to the analogics, Mark's has, Mark has said since he started feeding the analogics gold and stuff with, you know, the TX4 in it, it has made a huge difference in his deer herd. You know, going into the winters healthy, um, being able to battle the EHD a little bit, but it seems like it's going to be around. Um, we just started dealing with it in my area in Ohio last year. Um, I know other people have dealt with it a lot, but south of me in Ohio, people got waylaid. Like mm -hmm. below Wills Creek and that area, they got hammered. Yeah, that's what I heard too. Um, so I, can I say if cattle have an effect on it? That I do not know. I'm, I'm not that versed on it. I don't think so. I think it's more, more to do with, you know, one thing that Mark said that I thought was very interesting, he told me his worst years that he's dealt with EHD are – I want to say he said it was like when the El Nino hits the Pacific. Hmm. 
area out that way, the northwest, like when that is going on out there, it seems like it causes, I don't know if it pushes those, you know, flies that hatch the midges our way yeah. more or if it's just something that creates the wetter pattern of more dry weather and we had a super superior drought in Iowa and Missouri this year. I was amazed that I didn't feel like I dealt with it on some of the stuff I hunt in Missouri. Yeah. It seemed like I had a lot of pictures of the same deer all the way into fall. So I don't know. But uh, it's interesting. I mean, the one question that I think we should talk about a little bit, and me and Mark were talking about this the other day, was the early shedding bucks. Because mm-hmm. I've been asked that a lot. Like, why do I think deer are shedding early? And Mark's been getting asked that too. He said, um, <clears throat> It seems like, to me, part of it could be that cold snap we had. We had that super brittle cold for like four days. And then it just like warmed up, almost like it just fooled the deer, like shut their hormones down or whatever, and it made them think, okay, it's time to shed. But now I've still got all kinds of bucks holding. Mm -hmm. And it seems like I've got some bucks that have shed, some shed early. And Mark noticed, he said on his farms, the deer that shed early didn't look that great. He said, they didn't look as healthy. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm wondering if we're going to find a little more die-off of those shed bucks. And he literally just texted me, I think it was yesterday or day before, he texted me a picture of a, he says, my buddy was out in Iowa walking and he found a shed buck dead. Interesting. So I think some of those deer, and that could be a result of, you know, battling some EHD in their system, you know. Um, sure. Because it sometimes that EHD recover it surfaces in different areas, mm-hmm. you know doesn't doesn't kill every deer, but sometimes they deal with it for a while. Um, yeah, like that, uh, like the one T-bone post with the big say. long hooves. Yeah, if anybody's seen that picture, you know that deer's hooves look like they were seven, ten inches long. Yeah, it's crazy. And their hooves get real soft, and they grow weird like that, and they're like soft-footed, and you know that's a sign of a deer that's battled EHD. You know, it's lived through it, but it's affected them. Um, so, again, that's why we do believe that analogic gold is a great thing, and they make that base mix that you can literally order and have your local feed mill make it. They can make the feed that goes with it, and you just put this base mix in it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, you know, the base mix will literally go in, and I think you can mix it with 2,000 pounds, like a ton. Mm-hmm. So it takes 200, 200 pounds of base mix to go into a, a ton of feed. Gotcha. So that's a pretty good bit. Yeah. But it gives the deer that nutrition that they need to kind of help get their system up and going. Um, so if you can get on a program like that, I definitely think it'll help. Yeah. Um, so just we'll be interested, like people keep an eye out this year. If you're finding shed bucks that are dead a lot, we'd be interested to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of keep track on that and just, you know, sure. see what's going on. Um Got a few more questions here, um, and I haven't even read these, so, geez, these could go anywhere. Um, this guy says, Corby Curtis says, are you ever going to do any elk hunting? Corby, I would love to, but what I've always been told, that if I start elk hunting with a bow, that I will be addicted, <laughs> and that, um, and right now, I just don't know that I can handle another habit that i can't break like that in my life you know i'm so into whitetails and that's what my show revolves around but man i would i would definitely love to to bow hunt a big elk someday um you need you need a different cameraman yeah i think it would be awesome (laughs) for sure so i mean it's it's on my bucket list at some point but right now i'm so focused on whitetail edge and you know staying in my lane here that 
Um, I don't see it in my cards anytime soon, but man, it would be awesome. Okay, and Jonathan Moore says, have you ever hunted white-tailed deer in a swamp or marshy area? So, yes, actually where I grew up in Wyndham, Ohio, um, there was a lot of swamps and marsh area in that area. In fact, I grew up with a beaver pond swamp behind my house. I was very blessed. Uh, it was one of the best duck hunting spots ever. And I didn't realize it as a kid, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, an older gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Bob Newcomb used to take me hunting back there, and he explained to me just how great it was, um, why it was so special. And um, anyways, so... I mean, it used to literally be like 500 wood ducks a night fly into that oh, swamp. Wow. It was awesome. I mean, like literally it was great. And uh, me and my buddy Jesse Ellison used to go in there and pound geese and ducks ourselves. You know, we were just kids, you know, 16, 17 years old. Yeah. Uh, it was fun. I, I trapped. I grew up trapping in that swamp. But, yeah, then, you know, that whole area right there along the river, Eagle, Eagle Creek, that, you know, ran from my grandma's house all the way to my house. I trapped that creek. Um, crossed that river all the time to hunt whitetails in Taft's woods um, where I grew up. Hunted all around that area, and we had a lot of that kind of stuff. And so um, those swamp deer actually are very different than the hill deer. And one thing I've learned about swamp deer, because um, like what we called the dikes, which was across from uh, my grandma's house, it was an old, old quarry strip mine area that they'd sand a, a lot of silica sand out over the years. And all the locals called it the quarry or the dikes. Well, had a lot of Phragmites in it. And wherever you could find where those Phragmites um, maybe had some high spots in them or some little willow trees or different things growing in those swampy areas, that's where those deer would bed. Mm -hmm. And you literally could hunt the edges. So I did a lot of transition hunting along those swamps. Um, I would hunt where the swamps met the timber. Um, and a lot of times those bucks would literally wade in water off those little humps through the water coming into the timber. So my big tactic was always trying to find where those deer entered, left the swamp to come into the timber. Not all the deer bedded in the swamp, but a lot of your bigger, older swamp donkeys, so-called, mm -hmm. lived out in those areas. And like gun season, they flocked to that stuff. They'd get in those Phragmites, and I mean, you literally, guys that would do gun drives literally would have to step on them and when they would jump and take off, it sounded like Mack trucks running. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, you could see the Phragmites just, you know. But yeah. uh, that whole area of northeast Ohio up in there has a lot of that kind of stuff. I've got some friends that uh, the Landys, they own some land. It's full of Phragmites and swamp stuff, and they've killed some really good deer on it. Explain a Phragmite to our listeners. It's kind of like, uh, looks like a giant cattail, but it's really not a cattail. It kind of has more of a feathery type head on it. Okay. Um, but they grow like they're super thick. I don't know. I guess you'd almost say they're like invasive. Once they start in a body of water, they can really start taking over if it's shallow enough and they can grow. But, uh, yeah, the swamp hunting bucks is awesome. You know, I know there's guys out there that do it a lot more than I do now because I live in hill country. But, like, when I'm in other places or if I've come across farms that have swamps, I love it because... I love looking for that deer sign because I've always known that those deer love to find those places out in that water. They'll walk through that water, swim through it no matter what, if they feel like in bed safe out there. Um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that is awesome. Okay, thanks for that question. Uh, Brian Mass says, what is the most effective method for late season deer hunting, which we covered a little bit on the last podcast. I mean, I could probably answer this and just say food. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, 
deer are slave to their stomachs, especially in late season when they're trying to build back up just for basic survival. Um, but, you know, depending, does it say where he's from? Uh, who who no, asked the question? Brian Mast. I see oh. his name a lot. Um, gotcha. No, he doesn't Doesn't say. Gotcha. Let me see. <clears throat> oh, well, that's my buddy, Brian. Oh, yeah, okay. He lives right here. Oh, okay. So, I mean, you know, Brian, I mean, obviously, you know, with the baiting here in Ohio, a lot of guys are hunting over bait this time of year. But I feel for those truly, really big bucks, um, maybe you can bait where you have like a food plot or you're scattering corn somewhere. But I truly feel like getting in between where you think that deer is bedding and where he's headed to feed is the most effective tactic on a really big deer. Um, a lot of guys are so stuck on hunting right over the food source. And a lot of times this time of year, those deer are not getting there till late. So my tactic has always been trying to find where they're feeding, where they're bedding, and get in between and try to pick them off. Because if you bump them out of their beds too much this time of year, they're not going to be there. They're going to relocate, no doubt about it, because the woods are too open. They've had too much pressure. So I feel like getting in between that fine zone between where they're coming from and to where they're going to, then you can also, if it doesn't happen that night, you can get out of there, and you're not running a bunch of deer off a of food source. Like mm -hmm. That's the hardest part where a lot of these guys are hunting box blinds on plots or bait piles. Um, you got to get out of there. Mm -hmm. You know, and yep. so if your target buck did not show up that night, you've got to get rid of those deer. And um, so, you know, you can either be retrieved, but if you don't have somebody to retrieve you and spook the deer off of the vehicle or a tractor, you got to figure out a way to get out, which, you know, we've talked about this in the past. I'll coyote how or squeal like a coon in a tree, try to get the deer moved off, you know, and get out of a area if I'm hunting like a plot or something like that, even in the rut, trying to catch a cruising buck. So good, great question. Um, those boys know how to, they know big deer. They've killed some big deer. So, yeah. It's a little noisy in here. Sorry, because Miller's is getting busy. So, we can't ask them to not do business. But yeah. Can you guys not do business? <laughs> Would you quit selling bows? <laughs> Jeez. All right. This one's from our good buddy, uh, Derek Marlowe. Derek. Yeah. Number one, of, he's got to be like one of the number one fans. Absolutely. Derek's awesome. Derek like bleeds whitetail edge. Like, I, I swear if you cut, if you, if Derek hit his thumb with a hammer. Okay. And busted it open and blood come out, it'd be green and black. Yep. Yep. So thank you, Derek. But uh, his question is, it's not really a question, but honestly would love more in-depth talks with Ben about closing the deal on your target buck and also would love to just have you guys talk big bucks, which we try to do often. Calling, which you're going to cover at the Illinois Deer Classic. So um, Derek, you should get out to Illinois. Hunting tactics, everything. Just love learning from you guys. Love Whitetail Edge. Yeah, and I agree with Derek. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people are coming to our podcast to learn more about um, the deer, you know. And again, there's only so many topics we'll be able to cover <coughs> to where you start back over again, I guess, you know, because I really feel deer hunting is, I think people make it a lot more complicated than what it is. Um, but there's no doubt there's an art to it, mm -hmm. you know, to guys that consistently kill big deer. Um but, you know, like, it's kind of this rule of thumb. Deer have basic needs, okay? And they're kind of like a male, human. Deer have to survive. They have to, so that, that, that's, they need to know where to be, how to avoid humans, how to avoid danger. Um, they need to eat to survive. They need to breed to survive. And basically the others, they need to drink. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so you've got those things. And I mean, we all know that the breeding phase is the one phase that makes them do the dumbest stuff. But, you know, I truly feel that like that early season can be awesome. If you've got a really big deer patterned, I think he's got his guard let down and sometimes you can really hone in on a really big deer early and kill him. Um, then I feel like that getting to that pre-rut time, that October 20th, 23rd to 28th range is awesome for big deer. They start cruising their territory. So, you know, we can try to dive in to specific subjects, I guess, moving on, you yep. know, and like really try to break something down to a degree mm -hmm. of how we would handle that situation. Um, but I, I'm going to try to handle some of that in these seminars I'm going to do. Um, so, but, you know, even then, I don't know that a lot of it's just gut, man. Like it really is. It's a lot of just going with my gut on how to do things and like closing the deal on a big deer. I don't know how you say that. Like, I always think this, and I, I never really thought about it, but my good buddy Kenny Bevins, who's on the team, Kenny did a lot of filming with me over the years when I was younger with Drury's before we started Whitetail Edge. And Kenny just always said, you know, and he has, he saw me miss a deer once. But he said, you know, the one thing I've always noticed about you, he said, was that you just make the best of the situation you're in. So, like, when I'm presented that opportunity, you know, I work hard to get myself in a situation. But when that deer arrives or he's in our roundhouse, he's like, you usually just know how to pull it off. You make it happen. Like, you figure it out. And uh, I think that's going to be the case that, like, you know, we'll be able to explain in, like, the bottom bill hunt this year with, you know, and I don't want to give it all away, but, you know, one of the things I did really quick was using a call at the right time and that stopped him and made him like it just started playing with his head and it eventually led me to killing that deer within 10 minutes you know i think so. your calling information that you're going to cover at the illinois deer show is going to be a big one because i just remember this past hunting season here and we we're in illinois in november and i asked you the, that night remember um as we're getting ready to go to bed i said what would be the first call you see on a cruising buck tomorrow grunt or bleat and he said, ah, Ben goes, I think a bleat tomorrow. And I did pull the extinguisher out, bleated to this deer and this buck, uh, you know, like four-year-old nine point or something. But dude, he was, I mean, he was looking all over. So, I mean, I don't, would he have reacted the same with a grunt? I don't know. But I think um, the calling one is a big one. And I almost don't think that one gets talked about quite enough yeah. is uh, reading the body language. And there's still a lot of stuff that I would like to learn as well. So that'd be a good one for sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, thanks, Derek. Um, this one is from Dalton Benock. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. Sorry, Dalton. His question is: What are something? What? What is something you are doing right now to get your farms ready for the fall? Um, I'm not doing too much to them at the moment. Actually, I'm kind of just staying out of there because you know season is still open in Ohio here, so I'm not messing around there. Some of the stuff I got in Illinois, yes, I could be out there. It's a little far, but I kind of try to make the best of my trip. So probably when I know most of the sheds are gone or off the deer, then I'll be headed out there. But I do have some habitat projects I want to accomplish this year. Um, some of those things are, you know, thicken the timber up a little bit in some spots, creating some, like I call them, hotel rooms on bedding points and things. Um, you know, dropping a couple trees with big tops. And I don't think you have to get crazy. Some guys just get nuts, mm -hmm. hinge cutting, like you know and we we show some hinge cutting like you know we did some last year on the that one piece 
But I didn't go over the whole thing and just, you know. Um, but I try to, like, I think sometimes you can make your hinge cut so ugly and thick that the deer just eventually avoid them. Mm-hmm. Because then they get so thick with briars. Um, I mean, have you ever been on a property that was so thick, like, the deer didn't even want to go through it? Yeah. Me and Lamar were just walking one of his farms the other day, and that's where I just we just did that video about that perfect tree. Yep. And the stuff that's above that hill um, is just so thick that, like, I mean, it's nuts. Like, the deer, nothing can get through it. I mean, a rabbit doesn't even want to go through it. It's so thick. Mm-hmm. So the deer, you could see, were just 100% avoiding it. So, yeah, you know, being too thick can be a detriment. You know, so I try to be, I try to make that transition just a little bit soft. Like, I don't try to, like, make the areas too open to where they get so much sun that the thicker it gets um, too fast. Um, Because I do feel like eventually deer avoid it. Um, So I feel like, you know, I am going to do some basic type hinge cutting. A lot of my hinge cutting I try to do, I try to create, like, funnels with it. Mm -hmm. Try to push deer around points and spots. A lot of what I'll do for actually a bedding deer is like I'll drop a tree that's got a big old nasty top in it, big limbs where it's going to keep that tree hanging up in the air quite a bit, and those deer can get tucked into those, but yet get away from it. You know, mm-hmm. Danger's coming, they can move. I feel like when they get too many of the um, crisscross trees and things, deer just don't feel real comfortable trying to get through that in a dangerous situation. Like. Yeah, it was pretty eye-opening last year when we were shed hunting with your buddy, and um, we saw that tree that had naturally just hinge cut itself. Yeah, yeah. And lo and behold, right underneath was a shed. Yeah, and what did I say from a distance? You said there's gonna be a shed over there, and there was. <laughs> but it was just, and I saw, and I saw another tree that was like that. But and afterwards, and I went sprinting to it, and of course, no shed no for shed. me. But um, no, it was just like it was pretty eye-opening how hinge cutting can work, but. It wasn't just a limb or just a trunk with no leaves. It was a it was, it was a pine a, tree. It was a bushy and, top, and it had tons of cover for it. Yeah, so like, and and like what I would consider doing is like you know maybe when would be the best time to cut? Well, right, you can do it right now. Like for pine trees, you can do it any time because they they have their needles on. Mm-hmm. They're conor coniferous, so they don't lose their needles. Needles to where like a deciduous tree, a hardwood, loses all their leaves. You know, in the fall through winter. I really like to do some of that stuff once they're really leafed out. And because, like, especially oak trees, they will hold their leaves after you've cut them. They will hold those leaves for two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just creates a little extra cover. But eventually the snow knocks them off and the ice, and, you know, they'll, those dead leaves just deteriorate. But I've seen some of them up to two years hold, holding leaves in that situation, uh, dead, mm-hmm. but it just gives them deer just a little more cover. Yep. Um, so, but I mean, I, I think like, you know, if you pick an area and you drop a couple pine trees or a couple trees like that in an area, it just gives the deer enough room to spread out mm-hmm. and they can maneuver around and, you know, just, they're kind of like fish. They like structure. Yep. It's just like, that's when I saw that pine tree it was the only one that was blow over. I said, there's going to be a deer antler laying right there them deer, there's been a buck bedding under that yep. and sure enough i mean it was couldn't have worked any better it made me look like a the deer god yeah but like, uh, whatever <laughs> and i'd already found how many yeah. <laughs> literally like i'm walking and he's like ben's like pointing them out right in front of me i'm like oh my gosh that <laughs> but, sucks but anyways <laughs> it's you know they are like that's like what i was saying about the, the swamp deer mm-hmm. you know deer like fish they like structure so if you're looking over a whole thing of a, a swamp and you see those 
trees growing out there, like a willow trees or you know some of them sumacs and different things that grow in swampy areas. Um, that means it's a higher spot because those trees were able to get rooted. Very good chance there's going to be deer beds around that area. You'll see rubs, and a lot of times you start seeing rubs on the edge of a swamp or one of those areas. That kind of indicates they come out of the swamp or go into the swamp somewhere very close to that, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times. Um, because, again, a big buck, he can't help it. He makes sign. You know, they, they give away, and that's what I don't think a lot of people understand. They, they don't realize just how much sign a really big deer makes like a big mature deer. And I'm not saying you can tell the score of a deer, but the, the older age class deer with good headgear typically make a lot of sign when they're really close to their core. Because mm-hmm. um, they spend a lot of time there. They spend more time right there than anywhere. You know, they're making rubs, they're making scrapes, they're, you know, their beds are right there. They're doing all that stuff that, you know, where they spend a lot of that time in the daylight hours because mm-hmm. they're still aggressive and they want to make their presence known. Um, and so when you find all that sign, you know, congregated like that, you typically have found something great, you know, and I'm not talking like, you know, finger size rubs. I'm talking mm-hmm. shredded trees, broken branches, same with on scrapes. You know, a lot of times you start seeing those scrapes as deer coming out of velvet on the edges of the fields and you'll see just limbs just twisted to snot, mm-hmm. just twisted up, broken, you know, from their antlers and their mouth. You know, those aren't little bucks doing that. Those are typically the mature deer that do that. Now, those little bucks will come and use those scrapes? Absolutely. Great place to get pictures. They'll transition your cameras that time of year, you know, from food sources going into October, like, you know, that especially mid-October, get your cameras transitioned to those scrapes on edges and in the woods going to bedding or feeding areas you will start seeing what kind of deer are actually going to stay on your properties and live around there. Gotcha. Well, we do have some uh, some habitat work that we're going to film and put out there. And um, hinge cutting always seems like a popular topic. And you being the, the timber guy and everything, um, obviously it goes hand in hand with deer hunting yeah, and timber. Yeah. So Well, and that's why I say, too, what I say about the hinge cutting, because I've been a logger since I was 17 years old, basically. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I've just learned things, and I go into woods that I've logged before, and I see in a lot of the woods that, you know, I see that have been just hammered or logged too hard, those woods, they'll hold deer, but they don't seem to hold the type of deer as good as, like, a woods that's been more select cut and has Mm -hmm. that sporadic treetops everywhere and, like, different browse levels. Um, It just really seems to make a woods better because you still have mature trees, dropping acorns, then you've got browse under those areas that you opened up where a stump showed up um you've got some treetops for deer to bed by it just is a very diverse situation i think about i think back to the bobby kendall episode and how he killed his deer this year and it was a very open piece of timber Mm -hmm. uh, from what he explained and i mean don't you think that it could be a little bit better if it was select cut but when you go in there and like clear cut a woods it almost i guess uh doesn't enhance the security for a bedding to where it's too thick for them to see what's going on. Yeah. So like definitions of clear cuts though. So like, I guess more so like a diameter cut. No, I I know what you mean, but like some people out there though, like when you see like people like we're like mead paper in the past or, you know, wirehouse where people have gone in and like literally clear cut a place and chipped it all. The tops are gone. Everything. 
that will revert to a great wood someday if they haven't replanted it to pines. Mm-hmm. Um, hardwoods come back on their own. But what happens a lot in Ohio is portable mill jobs, like especially in the north, east part. A lot of flat country up there. There's a lot of portable mills that get put into a woods, and it's cut to like a 10 or 12-inch diameter. And then they leave every big nasty tree that they don't want to cut, like big giant beech, big ugly hickories. And then that's what that woods gets ends up seeding down to. Mm-hmm. So then the woods ends up growing into a bunch of junk again yep. if some of the oak didn't get a chance to come back. Those kind of cuts I do not like. It does create a lot of browse and a lot of cover for deer. But again, those are the ones that get eventually almost too thick. Yeah. But then they go through a phase where the tree's coming up, grow enough that then they can have another stage of life to where when those trees get about 15 to 18 years old, 20 years old, then it becomes a deer mecca again. Mm-hmm. But kid you not, the best timber, like quality timber, results from a clear cut because it grows back at the same rate. And it all competes for the sun and grows at the same time and gets fat. But... Um, one of the things that, you know, like that is where select cutting, you can kind of make it a little bit better for the deer. You can alternate your timber harvest. Um, and, you know, but, but in, in the ultimate end, clear cuts do present the best quality timber in the future, but it just takes forever for the hardwoods to get there. So me being newer into the timber industry, I've tried to, like, understand how uh, – a select cut is beneficial and the only thing I can come up with is that when you're select cutting and cutting it correctly with someone that is knowledgeable and knows what they're doing like you you can come into a woods say this is what you would do but I feel like what I came up with was that it speeds up the process and allows the growing of what trees you want to grow more efficiently would you say that's right? Yeah, if you're picking, if so, like, and this is what I try to tell people, like, you can't always just go into woods and say, I'm going to cut it 20 inches chest high, and, and you're only going to take those trees and bigger, and everybody thinks, well, I'm leaving those smaller trees, so that's good. It's not horrible, but truthfully, good forestry takes hand picking, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes you're going to cut a smaller tree over a bigger tree because that smaller tree may not be as healthy, it may be the wrong species, it may be holding back a better tree. Um, there's a lot to it. Um, and that's why I try to coach people that really want to manage their land to like, look, let me help you mark the timber. Don't just go in there and take bids on just on a, on a diameter cut, just cause you're all, if you're only thinking about the money, you know, you want to like think about moving forward and trying to do the best you can for your woods. Some people are in a situation where they can't do that. They need the money. I get it. Yep. And I support that. It's theirs. They can do whatever they want with it. So then obviously it's just, you try to give them the most you can and, you know, win the bid. But uh, if I have a chance at all to try to help people manage their timber and their land, I try to do it and, and educate them on it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you're in the Ohio area, obviously reach out to, to Ben or I. And we can help you with that. And then uh, Bobby Kendall out in Illinois. Is- yeah. So, like, if you can reach us there, too, we can help you there. Like, I can get you connected to a good timber guy in Illinois and Iowa and Missouri. But uh, here, you know, we do have a website. It's called TuscoForestry.com. Um, that's a timber company that me and Dylan both work for, uh, and they've been in business forever. So um, that's T-U-S-C-O.com. Yep. But uh, TuscoForestry.com. Tusco 
I'm looking in front of us here. I wanted to kind of show people this new Prime Rev X. We're sitting in the archery shop, so. Yeah, if anyone listening on Apple or Spotify, we are gonna probably put this on our YouTube and our socials just uh, to, to clarify that. We are videoing this podcast here, so. But uh, go ahead. Yeah, you wanna grab that? Yep. <clears throat> Hey, Adam, is Larry available or Ryan? Ryan's with a customer right here. Okay. So maybe we can get one of them over there, and them as an archery shop owner, they can. Well, I guess before they get over here, Ben, what's, what's, have you, have you got to shoot it yet? I have not. No. Uh, mine literally just got set up because uh, I, we didn't have the mods for it, the right mods, and they are on it. Um, I think Ryan or Larry actually set it up, and so I'm going to shoot it today while I'm here. Gotcha. Can't wait. Yeah, looks awesome. I didn't get mine until a little bit later, and they didn't have the correct mods for it yet, but um, really looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, so. Well, I guess we'll just go ahead and pause here real quick, and then yeah, uh, we'll either get Larry or Ryan on. And or Dewey, yeah. Yep. So, so here we are with Ryan here. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Miller, one of the main bow techs here at uh, at Miller's. For anyone watching on video, we got his face blurred, blurred because he's Amish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. But he's but, sexy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we could take uh, that blur off. Get a lot more likes. Yeah. yeah. How you doing, Ryan? Doing good. How are you guys doing? Good. Ryan's married, but he'd be having all kinds of women coming after <laughs> him. <laughs> oh. So Ryan's holding the uh, the new Prime Rev X four. Ryan, give us a rundown on the new Prime. Okay, so for 2023, Prime uh, brought out the RevX 2, 4, and 6. Uh, obviously, 2 is representing the uh, axle-to-axle length on it. So 32-inch axle-to-axle, 34, which is what I have in my hand here. And then they also have a 36-inch model. Uh, so for 23, they took their cam system, which is the inline cam system, and basically... Uh, turn it to mods instead of a rotating mod they have uh individual mods that you can change out it just allows the bow to stay um a lot more efficient uh throughout uh the whole uh process the bow tunes really easy uh quiet smooth uh, just a great shooting bow uh they kept the same grip on it uh but yeah smooth quiet great shooting bow from prime for uh 2023 uh, can't say enough good things about that. Uh, about Brian, this bow. I'll just interrupt you. Like, you've been a bow tech here how long? Uh, since 2013. Yeah. So you've you've been here pretty much since they've got pr- the line of Prime. Right? Yes. Yep. They got, they picked it up in 2010 when when Prime first started building bows when they bought it from Ross. Yep. You know, so Prime uh, basically is originally was Ross Archery. You know, gotcha. so. Um, so what, what have you, like, what's your personal opinion? And I mean, I no, get, don't get us wrong. You know, we know you guys sell all kinds of bows here. You know, Hoyt, Matthews, they're all great bows. Bows, mm-hmm. bow companies this day and age are so advanced. It's crazy. But, um, being that we are sponsored by prime, I can't really necessarily talk about other bows. Sure. Um, but in your opinion, you know, of the top three, you know, what are the top lines of bows right now? In your opinion, you know, I'm just curious how you rank a prime. Because I think a lot of people are afraid of the primes because, like, they just don't know them. Like, we're trying to make it more known in the Midwest. It's big known in the, you know, the western side, like mountains. And, you know, a lot of elk hunters use prime. A lot of Absolutely. And so, you know, 
G5 and Prime have like, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why we're on board is trying to make people know this is a great whitetail bow. And, you know, I love it. I absolutely love Prime. Sure. You know, Prime uh, ranks right at the top of my list. Uh, I've shot Prime basically since 2016. Uh, I've shot other brands, you know, as well. But Prime is the one bow that you can count on day in and day out. Like it, it literally... I always tell guys if, if I could pick one bow and, and I throw it down a mountain, this is the one bow that I, that I can trust to go down and, and pick it up and, you know, everything still be intact. Uh, super, super solid bows, uh, you know, great quality. If, if you get to know G5 Prime, they're all about precision, you know, same as the, the new arrows that they brought out this year. Um, yeah, the Mark. Really excited about yeah. that arrow. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to that. Um, cause I do want to talk about that today too, but you know, the prime is, I guess their whole thing is about center technology, mm -hmm. you know, and like the grips in the center, you know, the, the string rides in the center of the axles on Absolutely. the center of the riser, everything is centered. Yep. Like it's like the most, and when you try to explain that to people and like some other bows, the grip might be down here just a little bit farther and it feels Front heavy. Feels front heavy, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but like the Prime, you literally stick this thing in your hand, just hold it out there and show them like what it does. Yes. It, like it literally just levels itself instantly. Absolutely. And, and it makes it so easy, especially for beginner shooters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you no, know, absolutely. It, it, it makes it a lot easier. You can run your bars. You don't run have to run as much weight on your stabilizer if you don't want to, uh, just because it balances so easily, you know. You don't have to. I run a back bar on all my setups, but I don't have to run as much weight on a prime as I do on another bow. Um, people have asked me, you know, in the past that have been big prime fans, is why did they go away from the parallel cam? Well, this technology on the inline cam is doing the same thing that a uh, parallel cam did. You know, so at full draw, this cable is rotating in line with the string. So I guess one of the biggest things I've noticed myself when shooting a prime is my left to right misses are going away. You know, so it's not a it's not uh, as hard to keep my left and right consistency on on these bows as it is with uh, with competitors' bows. So uh, just easy, easy setups. You know, this bow tunes like a dream. You know, yeah. we've we've set up quite a few now. Uh, super easy to tune. Super accurate. Uh, now, the biggest complaint probably in the past was noise, and they literally eliminated that this year. This bow is as quiet as the new Matthews is. Uh, I mean, it is super quiet, and, uh, yeah, falling in love with this bow. So, yeah. I, uh, They amaze me every year, just, like, the ingenuity that, like, because, like you said, Prime is so, they're just so geared towards precision and engineering, yep. and, it, and it's all done here, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that's the, what's so yep. great about it. USA like, made. Yeah, you know, and it's done in Michigan. That's where they're out of. And, you know, Nate Grace is one, basically one of their main engineers. And, like, mm -hmm. I, I thought it was great. Like, years ago, I watched a video where Nate was talking about, like, developing the cams. Mm -hmm. And, like, he had a pile of cams. Just He was sitting beside a whole pile of cams that were his – basically the ones that he kept until he got the right one. Like, mm -hmm. they machined them, they tried them, they didn't work the way he wanted. And, and, I mean, it was just awesome to see because watching those videos, you knew that, like, these guys truly do want you to have the best. And it's just like with the Mega Meat. There's so much precision behind that broadhead that people don't understand. 
and the devastation that that broadhead is doing and the, the comments I get, like, you know, Dewey was just saying, you know, when I was texting him this morning about if you guys are going to be here, and he was saying, you know, about how bad those mega meats are. You know, I mean, they just oh, they're, they're they nasty. ravage deer. Yeah. You know? well, and, we shot three does last night, and and all three of us were using them, and, yeah, they're yeah. just deadly, deadly broadheads that leave a tremendous... We want to say last evening, not last night. Last last <laughs> evening, last evening. <laughs> Definitely was still daylight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Larry's holding the light, Dewey's driving the truck, and Ryan's shooting the bow. <laughs> but, but no, uh, yeah, I mean, so it it is, you know, and I mean, I guess, like, what are the advancements you've seen Prime make, you know, like, why it stayed one of your favorite bows, I guess, just because they're always just trying to innovate. Continue to, you know, to innovate, absolutely. So uh, in 2016, they had the Rise, which uh, didn't have the Synergy technology on it yet. So for 2017, you know, they brought the Synergy technology into it. And one thing talking to Nate and Matt was, you know, they were tearing their hair out of their head trying to, trying to get a, a bow that had that technology that still tuned because you've got to, a bigger cam on the top, smaller cam on the bottom, you know, so that's not the easiest technology, you know, to, to uh, develop. So, and they figured it out, you know, got to give, got to give credit to them uh, for doing that. And, and um, the small things that they added over the years is the swerve, you know, in here just increases your riser stability. Uh, you know, so went to a uh, uh, split limb system in 2018 uh, so they could do more with the cams. Now, now they've got, you know, if, if there's somebody that likes to work on their own bow with the uh, with the shim system, the top hats, you know, they can they can swap that out with you know without a bow press. You know, uh, don't don't need anything you know to work on your bow at home. You know, you can you can do it yourself. Uh, obviously, I like to do it for you, but uh, yeah. you know, well, that's why I can. I, I mean, I I want to learn. You know, I like that's the one thing in the hunting industry. A lot of the guys you know out there are very bow savvy. Mm-hmm. maintenance wise mm-hmm. you know people like bow mars and you know levi and T-bones. guys can work on their own bows t-bones probably one of the best um can you know do all that they know those things like i do not i was not brought up that way i always went sure. to a bow shop i never had the opportunity at the time when i was younger to learn it never had a bow press um you've messed with me some here try to teach me some things you and larry um but i've just i guess i've always lived been i've been fortunate to be a guy that's lived close to a place like this Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and you know, the service is by far above them. That's why people travel from West Virginia and PA to come here mm-hmm. to have you work on their bows. You yeah. know, I want to learn too, but every time I bring my bow here, it just shoots so dang good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just it. I'm like, you know, they know what they're doing. So I'm just kind of like, you know, especially with the new stuff, like when I'm going to go into the hunting season, I just feel way more confident having Ryan and Larry set my bow up. Yeah. I just do. Me too. Um, like and we'll Dewey now too because Dewey's new. He's a newbie. We'll, we'll have Dewey over here in a little bit. But Dewey, yeah. you made my arrows this year, didn't you, Dewey? Yeah. So. He's the arrow expert. Yeah, he, he loves knows. arrows. So yeah. we're gonna have you talk about the the marks then, probably, Dewey. Yes, absolutely. So. Yeah, as far as as far as uh, you know, bow setup wise, I always tell I I treat every bow that I set up. I like to treat it as if it were my own. Yeah. You know, it's, I know you guys do. It's, if 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 it's not, you know, one of the things that probably bothers me the most if a guy comes in and into the store and something misfunction on his bow uh one of the things that we like to try to say in here if i if i sell you a product it is 
something that we've tested that we feel comfortable with or I, I'm not going to recommend it to you. You know, it's something that uh, we feel very strong in as far as uh, we want to sell a guy a product, be it a rest, site, stabilizers, bow, uh, strings, you know, aftermarket strings that, that we've all tried, you know, played with it, uh, tested extensively. And, uh, you know, if, if it gets to that point, I will recommend it to you. You know, if it's something that we don't like, it's going on the back shelf. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, you just don't feel comfortable with it. And so we uh, really pride ourselves in, in trying to sell the best products, you know, that we know uh, can, can get the job done. I just so. know where bows have come since I started shooting when I was a kid. Long you way. Know, and I'm 48 now. So, I mean, I, I go back to the days of shooting big, fat-handled, yep. you know, small yep. cams. You Absolutely. know, um, draw length probably wasn't right. You yeah, know, a lot of those big you know, fat arrows and you know, aluminum. Yep. Um, some were wooden, even like for practice arrows and stone broadheads. Yeah, mis <laughs> mismatched everything, yeah. you know. And just I shot a lot of instinctive back then, though, too, um, as a kid. But you know, um, just I remember my first real actual compound, like. I had a bare whitetail too at one point, but it was just a hand-me-down given thing. It wasn't the greatest shape. But my first actual hunting bow setup that uh, Bob Baycorn set up for me, he had actually set up for my dad, then my, my dad gave it to me. It was a pro-line. I don't mm -hmm. even remember a pro-line bow. Like, I don't even know if... The, From Hoyt. I don't know. It was called... No, I think it was its own... Oh, oh okay. So that's before my... Before yeah, my I mean, time. we're talking 1987. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like this had to been like goes to show you how old he is. I would have to say like eighty eight, okay, somewhere in there, yeah. eighty nine maybe. Um, and I, I had I'd kept it for a long time, and I finally gave it to my cousin. But um, I wish I kind of still had it because yeah. it It'd be cool it, to hang on to. You know, it was neat. Hacked a lot of freaking deer with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the things you learn is growing up, you know. But I'm telling you, those days are some of my best memories. You know, not I'm sure not so much a doe running off with an arrow in her back, but <laughs> yeah. you know, um, they taught me to be the killer that I am now. You know, and oh, you absolutely. still are going to make bad shots. It happens. I mean, we just posted that one reel about how to use deer cast track about when I shot Roman back. Mm -hmm. It just happens, dude. I don't know how to tell you. Do it long enough, you're going to make bad shots. Sure. I don't care how good a shot you are, you're going to miss at some point. Um, mm -hmm. And it's funny to read the comments about how people just like love to beat you to death over a shot like that. Yeah, there's like, so much that happens on a on a shot. Yeah. Um, um, you know, on a on a whitetail that we had a it, lot. We had more good comments though than I expected. Like there was, you know, we were even tedious about putting that post out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you know that was a gut shot deer. And originally the way Dylan had edited it, which it's actually on the original show of Roman. It shows the hole and the guts hanging out, but just how devastating a mega meat is. But we didn't run a show that on social media so much because people would just rip you apart. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, we don't want to, like, people that maybe don't want to see that either, we didn't want to show it to them. But it's just the reality of what happened. But it, the deer died. I recovered it. I think he died within an hour, to be honest. But I gave him all night, went back the next day about 11, and he was 150, 175 yards max. Um, he had bet it a couple times. You know, but I think he literally had died within an hour to two hours, which nobody that's, likes that. But that's for a gut shot deer. That's pretty that's, impressive. That's very impressive. Yeah. Absolutely. But we just wanted to show how deer cast track can help somebody 
that doesn't really know how it shows where a, if, it, if the arrow hits a certain spot, this is what that anatomy is, and this is what you should do, and they give video backup, and it's a great thing of part of the DeerCast app. But it's just funny that, like, grown men will literally comment, like, gut need, shot. Oh, or, yeah. Like, or, just watch the video. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we know. Or it was, what, you need an app to know where the guts are? Like, no. It was just, we can show this tool that it can help someone that maybe There's, not be as experienced. Or some guys that think they do have all kinds of experience. They shoot it in the guts, and they want to go track it in three hours. Yeah. yeah. You're going to lose your deer. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's a great tool. And, you know, you, you pull that anatomy up, and it might pull things up that you – you didn't know, and they've got all these real shot examples. I mean, I never read the one that's. I didn't see that one. You said, I, I deleted a bunch. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, just, I mean, there's. there's you didn't want me to see them because I told you this was going to be tip. This could be. No, I just. I don't know, man. You, you, you read these comments, and it's just it goes right through you, and you want to fire back. And I think the easiest thing to do is just delete yeah. and block. Do not engage. Yeah. So. That's still a learning process. <laughs> For every guy that knows all this stuff, you know, as far as, you know, shot placement, you know, whether it be guts, there's still a bunch of guys that do not know it. Well, you know, that's just A bunch just of guys it. wanting and to I mean, learn, you know. And I was willing, I was willing to show my screw up mm-hmm. to try to help some people. And a lot I of mean, people don't want to do that. You know, I would be willing to put the amount of deer I've shot right mm-hmm. against anybody. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you guys watch my videos. I mean, how many deer fall on camera? Yeah. Within 40, 50 most, yards. Most of them. And, you know, sometimes it just doesn't happen. Like, you do mess up. You know, Roman had had me curse somehow. I missed him two days before, and then I made that bet. I don't know why. That deer just had me a little shook up. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't by far the biggest deer I've ever killed. It was just some kind of an emotional experience with that deer that I wanted him so bad. I don't know what it was. I think it, mm-hmm. I think it can uh, encourage a hunter too. If you hit him back in the guts, obviously you're like down in the dumps about it. But you go and you do deer cast track, and it shows those examples of all these guys that were successful in recovering their deer. As long as you play your cards right, yeah. I think yep. you know you can go from. Just we all know hunting's highs and lows, but you you hit one in the guts and you're feeling terrible. You can go watch what Mark Jury and Terry Jury has to say about the hit and. Uh, I think it can lift your spirits up too. So yeah, I mean, if you if you do hit them in the guts, you know they're gonna die, you know. But if you do push them, that's that's when your you're, chances you're of finding ch- them are so just, slim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just goes I mean down significantly. So yeah, Dewey, come on over here. We'll talk to you now about these Mark arrows. Ryan, that, I appreciate you. Hey, no problem. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for working on my bow, buddy. Yeah, no problem. You guys come see Ryan, man. He is like the T bone of the Amish world. Yeah, <laughs> he's great with bows. Thanks, man. Do you got one of them arrows by chance? Can you bring yeah. one of mine? Yeah, I'll get one of yours. Do 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 And now we have Dewey on, the arrow expert here at Miller's. The the face of Miller's Instagram and Facebook. What's your nickname, Dewey? Dewey. <laughs> it's not Abner? Nope. Not that I know of. <laughs> What's up, Dewey? Not much. Dewey's holding the new mark. His real name's Dwayne. Dwayne. What's your full name? Just give everybody your full name, so if they want to email you, they can. Dwayne R. Yoder. Dwayne, Dwayne R. Yoder. And he is single. Yeah, he is single, girls. Ooh. And we can show Dewey, because he's not, he's not full Amish. Nope. <laughs> so, Dewey's holding the new mark, G5 Arrow. Uh, 203. 203. They make a 244 as well. Uh, two these, o- these are what we have coming. Basically an X-knock. Yep. Well, the first thing <laughs> I asked you... Actually, this has the uh, F-knock. Oh, that's an F? Yes. So they have a bushing on the back. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yep. 
protect your arrow when you're uh, target shooting. Yep. Okay. So off script, like when I first walked in this morning, I asked you what you thought about that new G5 arrow, and you had a lot of good things to say about it. So why don't you tell everybody? Okay. So we did quite a bit of testing as soon as uh, when our rep brought them in. Uh, we have a, as you guys probably already seen, we have an indexing machine. Took a dozen of these and actually the two four fours, and we were very impressed. Very consistent throughout a whole dozen. Uh, from that, I haven't I haven't done a whole lot of testing after that. Ben Zero is obviously uh, I've been playing with. Uh, very consistent. When will you guys have in to sell? Do you think? Uh, Given your timeline, I'm thinking February. Is that right, Larry? So that, yeah, should be close somewhere in February. But, like, from what Ryan and Larry told me, they're going to shoot these arrows this year themselves for, like, the their target shooting stuff, their 3D stuff they're in? Yes. Yep. Because uh, basically it's, like, it's that good of an arrow. Yes, it is. And they got, so on their 203, they're at, like, 10, depending on what spine you go with, they're at, like, 10-something grains an inch up to 12, I believe. So more towards your, you know, it's a very good whitetail arrow, awesome, going to be an awesome weight for elk. Uh, that's probably what I'm going to be running for elk hunting. Uh, I'm thinking about maybe going with the 244 for whitetail. A little bit lighter, a little bit more speed. Uh, yeah, I gotcha. think with my draw length and uh, poundage, I'll be, I got plenty enough punch with the 244 lighter arrow. Uh, still shooting that G5 Mega Meat, which we all love. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. Uh, so um, on the the online store is a new thing for yes. uh, for Millers. Are you able to build arrows to the customers liking and ship them and stuff for all online, like they can customize and all that online? Yes. Right now that is not not quite yet an option. Okay. Uh, eventually you will be able to go on there, pick your arrow, uh, pick your fletching wrap, whether Sweet. you want it indexed or not, whatever knock knock color. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, full custom built, indexed, all that, and we'll build them, ship them out to you. But they could call you and ask that. Right. You could call us. Right now we can build, yeah, pretty much anything. If we don't have it in stock, usually we can get it within a couple of days. Okay. Cool. Yep. So, Dilly, how long you been working here now? Uh, almost a year and a half. Yep. Is it the best thing you've ever done in your life? It is. <laughs> I've always, always loved hunting. Just, I've always thought I wanted to work at a, at a bow shop. Just never thought it'd be this soon. But love it. Yeah, it's living the dream every day. Larry and Joe aren't slave drivers. They're not. No, they're <laughs> very good people. Very yes, good bosses. They are very good people. Yep. yep. It's nice when your bosses like to do the same thing you do. That's right. Yep. They tend to they tend to understand when you want to go hunting. Yeah. And just yeah, you can go. When you're over there jittering, and you're like, I got, I gotta go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's that time. Yeah. Uh, well, cool, man. Thank you so much well, thanks, for talking Dewey, about that for new arrow. Thanks, explaining that yep. arrow. Yeah. And, uh, Again, you can call into Millers, and they'll build you whatever arrows you want, and they'll ship them to you. But like Dewey said, eventually the new website um, is going to have to where you can actually order them. But there's all kinds of stuff you can actually order on the website now. Yep. Oh, cool, man. Thank you. So, yep, not a problem. Thanks. I think what, we're going to try to get Larry on here next. Yeah, we're going to try. Feel gracious with his presence. All right, now we're here with the man of the hour, the owner of Miller's Gun Supply, Larry Miller. How are you, sir? Good. Good. Also Amish, that's why we're blurring Larry's face out here. But thanks for hopping on, Larry, and thanks mm -hmm. for having us host our podcast here in, yeah. in your store. Last minute. Yeah. But uh, so you got some blood on your hands this morning, I hear. Yeah, that's when I found out I was doing this today. Yeah, it was <laughs> perfect. Perfect timing. He's like looking at his phone going, really, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you just never know. That's the life of a logger. But uh, no, Larry. Larry has been a huge part of my life the last. How long we've been doing stuff together now? Four, five, five, four, six five years. years. Six years. Yeah, six years. So Larry has been basically a sponsor of Ben Rising for six years, and uh, very supportive. These guys are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the outdoors, especially with guns and ammo and um, archery. You know, your your description is pretty much the archery side of things. Like, because Joe, your brother, you and Joe were the owners. Yeah. And we'll get Joe here quick. But uh, Joe kind of runs the gun department, correct? Yep. So Joe takes care of the gun side. I've got the archery side, the tree stands, the fishing, yeah, grills, okay. gotcha. all that stuff. And he takes care of the gun side of it. Yeah. Which is the ammo and the scopes yep. and sighting and all that kind of. And you guys do gunsmithing too, right? We do yeah. do some, yeah. yeah. Just basic gunsmithing. Yeah. So, and you know, so basically you guys transitioned it from Emery, which was the guy that originally started mm-hmm. this years ago. Yep. Um, across Back the in road. 79. 79 in his, was a, was a little shed basically, wasn't Pretty it? much, yeah. And he just started selling a few guns and you guys have grown to this, right? Yeah, we're pretty much in the fourth building now. Yeah, and And you've added on to this, right? Yes, and we are working on adding on again. Yeah, (laughs) which is a great problem to have. So that tells you just how great of a shop this is. But, you know, um, and Dylan's going to go around a little bit later and show some of the the stuff they carry and the brands and, you know, to try to just give you a feel. So, like, the one thing about this area, you guys get a lot of tourists too, don't you? We do. Because from all know, the surrounding states. Yeah, because it's Amish country, and so the wives drag their husbands to Amish country to stay in a hotel or go eat and buy crafts and stuff, and then they find out that Miller's Gun and Supply is right here, and so the guys get dropped off here, the women leave, and then yeah, pick them up later. That's right. He's They're, like, honey, you go look at the patio furniture. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go, go buy a bow. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> or a gun. It happens a lot. You know, yeah. this is actually, I didn't even think about it. This is the perfect spot to drop your wife off. She gets to do what she wants, spend yep. the money, and then you get to come here and make it even. Yeah. So. 100%. And as long they got to. Don't forget to pick you up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever get stuck with any? We haven't. Getting <laughs> close, though, but not. We just, we've never got stuck with one yet. But you got a uh, huge archery range in the basement. Yep. Explain that just a little bit, what all you got so, there. So, a full 3D range out to 30 yards, and then the. Uh, Technohunt, which is a virtual archery as well. Gotcha. I didn't even know you had that. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I've shot it once with them just screwing around. It's pretty fun. Yeah. So we're running league on that right now, or winter league, running a 10-week league on the 3D and the Technohunt. That's cool. um, one thing I was going to have you, before we forget, talk about the big buck contest we've been doing um, so that people can maybe think about this next year. So you know. the, this will be the fourth year that we've been doing that for big buck contest, and we've got our, our banquet at the end. Uh, so pretty much you enter before you shoot one anything in Ohio anything free range in Ohio and then uh, we do the buck contest or the banquet after the uh, season closes up we have different categories running biggest archery biggest in uh, firearms biggest women's biggest youth and then we do a people's choice of the most unique as well so at the banquet everybody votes on on the most unique yeah. Deer to get that. The first year we did it, what did we have? Like, we figured how many people we had in the basement? Around 100. Yeah. And oh, then wow. the next year, it was... Around 175. Yeah. We outgrew the basement. We had to move it to the uh, Heritage, Heritage Center, Center up at Winesburg. Yeah. So last year we had... What did we figure we had last year? Right around 200 people. Yeah. Okay. Dang. 
Yeah, it's gotten pretty big, you know, and so and you can come to that even if you didn't kill a buck. Like you can buy a ticket, correct? Yep, you can buy a dinner ticket to come to the banquet. Uh, you'll be around twenty five dollars for dinner. Yeah, ticket. but it's a great dinner, and you get to hang around a bunch of cool, you know, Amish guys and other people, and talk and just visit and talk deer. Um, we do a little bit of talking, a little bit of seminar type stuff. Nothing crazy. Just Clint Casper will actually be at the banquet or be our featured speaker. This oh, gotcha. Year. Gotcha. Dylan will be here then. Yeah. He's a working class bow hunter fan. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. He'll yeah. be he'll be carrying Clint's bag in the Yeah. In, Come in on in somebody to do that. <laughs> Jeez. Here, Clint. All right, it's not like that. No, go I on. actually talked to Clint quite a bit at the ATA, just on the couch one night and uh sitting there in the hotel lobby just talking about different areas because he doesn't really live that far from us. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of nice to, you know, I knew a lot of properties that he knew about and things and um, seemed like a nice fella, but, uh, that was the first time I'd ever talked to him. But, uh, so Larry, with your, you know, how long have you been working in the sports store since you was a kid? Yeah. Off and on while ever since growing up. I mean, I grew up in here Yeah, and then started full time when I was 18. Gotcha. And what's, what would you say is like one of the most single, most in advancements you've seen in, uh, archery since you've started? Bow-wise, I mean, that's some of the stuff that they've done to take the noise and the vibration. Shoot, the bows we shot 15 years or even 20 years ago, I mean, you'd have to hang on to them. They'd jump yeah. out of your hand. <laughs> now they usually shoot hands open and it yeah. just sits there. They don't move. They felt like springs. Yep. The parallel yeah. limb was probably one of the biggest advancements for that. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of like basically explain that to people that would not know exactly what you're talking about. So, your originally your limbs were fairly straight. Now they're parallel, so they're curling kind of in. kicking back more. <clears throat> so the original ones, if you pull back and then you shoot your limb and fly forward. Now your limbs are parallel. They'll curl in and they go back up, so they avoid each other out. It takes a lot of vibration, a lot of movement out on that shot. There's it takes your shock and stuff out. Gotcha. Which by eliminating the movement, it'll it'll increase your accuracy. Yeah. Which I remember years ago starting to read about the parallel, you know, parallel limbos, mm-hmm. and you know, like yep. it was the big thing. And uh, do you know which company started that first? Who was the first one to maybe start that by chance? Not for sure. You guys have been PS- a PSC. I know done a lot of that with their little firestorm stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I know Matthews was right in there with it as well. What I found interesting, I learned last year that I believe it is so like the cam system is a patented, you know, obviously the, the archery cam. Like it was yeah, a, a lot of that. It was it was invented by one place and like everybody had to build off that patent. So, and if I'm not mistaken, is that not Martin Archery? Uh, there's a couple different options. There are different styles that, that, that were patented, and there's different stuff on the cams that are patented, yeah. which Prime has that, and now with the parallel cam, that, that was yeah. their patent. But I'm just saying, like... But Martin ri- was one of the bigger ones. The original, like, yeah. kind of like the whole original type design with a cam was kind of... I heard, like, almost every bow company has to pay Martin archery, or did at one time. Yeah, which I'm sure a lot of that has run out. Yeah, but at one time, everybody was having to pay them to build off that technology to their own way. But I always thought that was cool, because, like, Martin Archery was not something I'd 
really had a lot of experience with or seen yeah, much you of. Don't hear a lot about Martin. You know, but uh, people say they're a great bow. That you know, but I don't know. You know, I'm just saying. I just thought that was neat that that that's kind of how that worked. And a lot of these bigger companies then have taken that advancement. Obviously, Matthews Prime, Hoyt, you know, things like that. Elite. Um, you guys have been a top 100 Matthews dealer for oh, how long? Five years straight. Missed Six one year. Straight. Gotcha. Congratulations. So that awesome. that basically means you had to sell how many bows of Matthews alone? Just say between 150 to 200 a year. Gotcha. How many bows did you guys sell last year? You think in general, like across all your brands? Just compounds, not crossbows. I haven't counted them for sure, but we're between the three and four hundred mark, easy. Gotcha. What about crossbows? If you had to guess, crossbows closer to uh, one fifty. Gotcha. Hmm. So you're still selling more compounds. Yes. Over crossbows. Yep. Which I mean, I guess this day and age could make sense when crossbows are three and four grand, or you know whatever. You some get of into them. that side yeah. of it, yeah. But uh, anyways. We do a lot more under that, though. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but uh, that's cool to hear, though. Like, I didn't know that. I thought yep. you was – I actually thought you were going to say you sold more crossbows. No. I so, didn't do uh, more compounds. Yeah. Good. Well, that kind of tells you the area we live in. Yep. You know, a lot of the guys we know around here die, die hard bow hunters. Yep. You know. Um, but uh, – Which a compound is just more fun to shoot in the backyard. You're yeah. Not, not yeah. pulling that – 100 to 200 or 150 to 300 pounds of weight yeah it just makes it it makes it easier to get people into it yep like you get kids because you guys sell recurves you sell everything oh we'll Um, sell yeah anything from a five pound bow up to 80 pounds yeah just to get for archery in general to just keep it going and they sell all the arrows and everything but so have you got a buck yet this year no Still, uh, still grinding on one, or I think he shed. So he's, oh, really? He's, he's free for this year. He's free, huh? Yep. We'll have to I don't wait till next year. It'll be bigger. Okay, that's, that's right. one way to look at it. Did Joe get one? No. Gotcha. Who did kill one? Dad shot one. Dad shot one. They're, they're too busy making sure everybody else gets one. Yeah, yeah. We get you, into that a lot. Yeah, because <laughs> you guys are very nice. You know, you guys own some property, and they actually uh, they share it with the employees, which is really cool. You know. Um, they kind of earn it, and so Larry and them kind of give back. A little benefit they get, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty nice of you. But uh, one thing that I love about Miller's, Larry, is like when I come in here, not to like throw shade at like a Bass Pro or a Cabela's or anything like that, but when you come in here, all the product you have, I mean, you have A to Z, and it's all like very serious product. Like even in like the fishing department, you you can outfit the very serious fisherman. We can, yeah. You can outfit the very serious uh, archer. You can outfit the dude that slams it down on a grill or a smoker too. Like you've got it all in here. I mean, it's so we got it from the start. You kill it and bring it back and put it on the grills. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they carry the Kamado Joes. Yeah. Um, Beard and butcher blend seasonings in here. Um, Yeah, I mean, you just got everything. Shout out to my boy Seth Perkins. Yeah, but um, that's just one of the things that you're going to find different when you go to like a Cabela's compared to a Miller's is the the product that you have in here and the people that you deal with. And uh, you guys are just top notch. I can't say enough good things about you guys. Yeah, we're trying to keep it more personal too. Yeah, yep. Well, and that's the hard part. Like, you know, some of those bigger stores, which we got to have them. And again, not knocking any of them, but it is something about it. And to me, archery is a personal sport. It is and, more so, yeah. And I feel like, you know, you need to be able, like, 
it's like some people have a car dealership where they have a salesman and they deal with that salesman all the time. Or like, I don't know, like for me, I just don't want anybody touching my bow. Yeah. And we've been lucky. I mean, with our employees, I mean, our employee turnover rate has been very low, which means if you're coming in, you're always looking at the same yeah. guy. I'm very fortunate because, you know, I not only have you guys here in Ohio, but I have a great bow guy in Illinois too. So when I'm out in Illinois and if I need something, I can go there. And I almost, you know, I feel as good now with those guys. Um, they're kind of a lot like you and that's at Presley Outdoors. But, you know, Chad and those guys there, they just really do a good job. They kind of, it just makes me feel like I'm back home, honestly. Mm -hmm. And because it's just hard to just let people touch your bow. Like if you're a real serious bow hunter, people do not understand what that means <laughs> to you. You know, like what your bow, it's like an extension of your body. And, you know, when it comes to harvesting deer and making a good shot, I feel like your confidence level in your equipment is half the battle of making a good shot. Cause if you're always thinking about that, my bow isn't shooting the best, or I don't shoot this thing that great. You're too busy thinking about those things and not making that shot. One of the biggest things on that is having it fit to you. You gotcha. see too many bows coming in that are not fitted to you. Draw length may be too long, too short, poundage too high, gotcha. uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I think with how personal you guys are too, I think a lot of people feel intimidated going into a bow shop and you guys just like are able to like welcome people in open arms and you're gonna you're gonna make sure that they're set up correctly i think a lot of people get intimidated going coming into a bow shop and they don't get set up correctly yeah. well they literally have adam standing at the door and he gives everybody a hug when they walk yeah, in come on in but <laughs> he's yeah. the hugger yeah they'll take your shoes off it just makes them feel better you yeah. know lightens the mood right off the bat yep. yeah but no i mean you guys are so personable and uh just great great customer service here so yep. adam's the newest isn't he? Adam's newer than Dewey, isn't he? No, no Adam's actually been here longer. Yep, I think it's just because Adam's younger. Oh, that's right. He's got right. the baby face. He's younger and got blonde hair and a little baby face. Yep. And we, he's the whipping post. <laughs> so, but, he's uh, going to come in with a beard tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he, he, that means he'd have to be married. Oh, okay, okay. Well, no, I guess Adam's not completely – he's not Amish. No, though, he's so. Mennonite, so. Yeah, because in the Amish world, if – People didn't know this. When you guys have a beard, that means you're hooked up, correct? Uh, not necessarily. No, not, not anymore. Didn't Dewey, it used to? Dewey has a beard, so. Yeah. But I always and just thought And he's still that, available. Yeah. Well, we, we said that earlier. <laughs> so obviously De Dewey's desperate because it's been mentioned quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But. So anyways, but Larry, I just want to thank you for the support you've given us over the years. Yeah. It's uh, It's gone way beyond just a... A partnership I feel like between my, more, of a, more my, of a friendship yeah my family and our your family yep. you know um it's just it's been great been real blessed there and you know so if you guys want to come to Miller's Gun and Supply and check it out uh you will not regret it so close yep. with thanking you and then thanking everybody else out there that out, that's out there supporting yeah. us yeah, yeah, well, that's the truth. Without the customers. If it wouldn't be for them, we wouldn't be here. Yeah, that's right. And but you're able to keep them coming back. Just yeah. like It's just like with my show. If we don't have viewers, if we don't have the people watching, then Whitetail Edge is nothing because without yeah. them, and we do it for them. Yeah. You know, truthfully. I mean, it's, uh, it's not about me just wanting to see my face on a television screen or, you know, I mean, it's just something we truly do enjoy doing. And, 
it gets difficult at times though trying to come up with the content and thinking what can you talk about now or what have you already talked about so much mm -hmm. or you know and then when you go through a year where you don't have as many good deer kills makes it even tougher to try to make the show entertainable to, to people fresh. and so you know but you're gonna have those we've had so many great years since the start of this last year i was due for not as great of a year as normal and so hopefully this coming year we'll bounce back lord willing and go again maybe i'll whack a snot out of a bunch of them who knows yeah. but i know you guys will be a huge help behind that and uh yeah, so thanks for coming on and spending yeah. a little time with us. And, sure. you know, you are shooting a Prime this year. I am shooting a Prime. I'll the new Rev-X. The Rev-X, yep. yep. And you're shooting the Mark Arrows yourself, too? Or what are you going to yes. shoot for Arrows? I will be shooting the Mark Arrow. I'm not sure which one yet. Probably the 203. Gotcha. Says a lot about that because you can handpick anything in here, so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, he's not trying to just be biased, but it's. That and their broadhead. Yeah. Yeah, you shoot the Mega Meat also, do you not? Yes. Yeah. And what, so what has been your experience? So like, what made you switch to that? Just curious. Just the devastation of the head. Yeah. And pet, I mean, a lot of guys are worried about penetration on a big mechanical like that, but I think with their blade angle stuff, there's no issue with penetration. Yeah, there isn't. That mm -hmm. and, and the sharpness of the blades. That's so, the key thing there. Yeah, and they're which, razor. Which what Ryan was talking earlier with precision on G5, they're into the medical field. And that's why the rest of it, I mean, the precision is there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I needed a blood transfusion getting them out of the package. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's just because I'm an idiot. <laughs> what is, so like, Larry, like what would your setup be on shooting? You know, like kind of how do you, you know, what kind of poundage do you shoot for hunting? And, you know, kind of your setup for an arrow and, you know, being you're an actual bow tech. They're around 65 pounds, arrow weight-wise, four and a quarter to 430 shooting a hundred grain head gotcha so pretty much about like what i'm so like that 244 or 203 arrow that what are what are the grains on that arrow that they're actually spec wise i don't know the specs okay i was just curious I what the to, mark was but i don't know what the specs are but i mean basically i pretty much shoot about what you do i mean pretty you much. guys pretty yeah. much set me up yeah. you know but i shoot a hundred grain head i usually shoot around 65 66 pounds 67 mm -hmm. pounds right in there hunting wise and i don't always get complete pass-throughs but i don't feel i need to have complete pass-throughs no, no when you have the devastation from yeah. and most of the deer i mean we can see them go down yeah 100 percent. i mean sometimes a pass-through is great and i get them but i don't get them as much as maybe some people that are shooting like 75 70 pounds but i don't my personal opinion i do not think you need to shoot that on a whitetail no you don't i mean not with the day and eight not with the the bows today yeah i mean i could see maybe at one time but now i just i think that's overkill and you know especially if it gets cold out and you're sitting yep. in a stand you're and, stiff heavy clothing it, yeah. it restricts your movement yeah and i mean i understand these bows do draw a lot better today at that poundage than maybe oh, some did they, like they when we were do. younger you know trying to pull 70 pounds you know in 1989 was a lot different than oh, now absolutely huge you know, difference it's like trying to pull a cable out of a log skitter <laughs> you know but uh but yeah so well thanks larry for coming yeah. on thanks for letting us do this here and uh we'll see if we can't get joe on here real quick okay. and then we'll wrap this up yep thanks again larry yeah thank you so as you guys can see i uh went over to the gun department that's really how uh miller's gun supply got their start was 
was starting as a gun store. They've got a, a huge selection over there that Joe runs. We wanted to get Joe on, but he's busy doing his job and dealing with customers. But now I'm here with uh, Adam Miller, yes. the young man of the shop. Yes. The young stallion. What's up, man? Not much. I'm going to pull that mic down a little bit here for okay. you. Yep. So how long have you been at Miller's? Uh, would be getting close to two years now. Yeah. So, you love yep. it? Yes, yeah. very much. Yeah. Yep. So what did you do yeah, before this? This is actually my first job. Yeah. So just came out of school. Yeah. Yep. So something you're thinking about maybe doing for forever? Yeah, it was kind of the one thing that you thought about it, and it just seemed like the perfect place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can play around with bows and and be paid for it. Yeah. So, what's What's your yep. favorite part? Obviously, when I come here, I see you in the archery department every time. So yes. mm-hmm. that's kind of what you're all about, huh? Yes. It would. Yeah. Bow tech. Yeah. Yep arrow builds or i do some with arrows as well yeah um you know Dwayne is kind of the big guy with Mm -hmm. the arrows uh but yeah i do some with arrows as well cool right on well it's super awesome coming in here with millers there's ben interrupting yeah adam thanks for coming on buddy yes ben's gonna be checking out he just got his bow set up by ryan i'm gonna go shoot it i gotta go see ya ya later yep see ya hey don't forget your uh mossy oak best there so all right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning into another podcast. I know it was a really long one, but filled with great information, filled with great people. Miller's Gun Supply here. Adam, thanks, buddy. Yep, thank you. Yep, take care, everybody. God bless.